Welcome to this week's edition of Good Books Radio. Audiobooks.com is the chief underwriter for Good Books Radio, which is produced by UTRGV Media Services for Rio Grande Valley Public Radio. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Cook. Welcome once again to another edition of Good Books Radio. I'm your host, Dr. John Cook. Good Books Radio is a production of UTRGV, and we do it as a public service to the community and public radio. And with me today is Diana Butler Bass. She is the author of a book called Grateful, The Transformative Power of Giving Thanks. Miss um, Bass is an award-winning author of 10 books on American religion, including Grounded Christianity After Religion, Christianity for the Rest of Us, and A People's History of Christianity. She holds a Ph.D. in Religious Studies from Duke University. She has taught at the college and graduate level and is currently an independent scholar. She was a columnist for the New York Times Syndicate and comments and writes on issues of religion, spirituality, and culture. Bass is a popular speaker at conferences, colleges, universities, and churches across North America. She lives in Alexandria, Virginia with her husband, her daughter, and her dog. Miss Bass, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. I love talking about good books, so this is a perfect fit. Uh It it is a good book, and I, I very much enjoyed the read. Let's Let's start with the second half of the book, because you talk about quid pro quo and the Roman culture. Can we talk about how gratitude existed back in the Roman era? Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting place to start, because most people, um, that's kind of not the issue that is the leading issue with gratitude. Mm-hmm. But at, But when I wrote the book... One of the the questions I was struggling with is why did I have such a hard time with gratefulness? And um, I realized it was because I was living under a lot of false assumptions about what gratitude is. And one of them was this idea of quid pro quo, that somehow I got into my brain that gratitude was an exchange, that if you gave me a present, I was under obligation to do something in return for you. And that's what quid pro quo is. I do, if somebody does something for us and we must do something um, that we're obligated to them. And so a, a lot of people get nervous about gratefulness and gratitude because of that transactional piece. And lo and behold, um, as I was researching the book, I discovered that that idea, of course, quid pro quo is Latin, that idea of gratitude actually goes back to the ancient Roman Empire. And um, in Rome, gratitude was a social obligation that was enforced by law. Mm-hmm. And it was about exchange and reciprocality, usually between people who were superiors to people who were inferior. And so uh, higher status people... Uh, were benefactors, lower status people were beneficiaries, and if a benefactor gave a gift to a beneficiary, the beneficiary was indebted uh, to the benefactor until the debt of gratitude was repaid. And so that's that's actually where we get this idea of quid pro quo and where we also get the idea of being in debt. You know, we talk about, we say that all the time without even thinking where it came from. If someone gives us a gift, oh, I'm in your debt. Uh-huh. And, and, and this is this is really interesting because the, the Roman emperors were, like, deified, and all the gifts came down from them, 
And the poorest people were the ones that paid the most taxes, kind of like now in America. But but the, the poorest people paid the most taxes because they had the most they were the most beneficiary of the gifts from on high and so they had to return the favor in terms of taxes. Right. And that is one of the things that I think makes us feel so awkward about this this old transactional idea about gratitude is that gratitude is often structured into um, hierarchies, sort of pyramids of control and of economics. And so in the ancient Roman Empire, you have a pyramid-shaped society, and Caesar is on top. And, and um, most people who who may be associated with Christianity or sort of loosely Christian in our culture today don't know that one of the titles for Caesar was Lord and Savior of the universe. Wow. And so so that it was first used for Caesar, it was not first used for Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um so Caesar was considered to be the ultimate benefactor, mm-hmm. the one who sat on the top of this pyramid of power, this pyramid of wealth. And um it was Caesar's job to make sure that all the money, power, privilege, all those things were distributed throughout the system. And of course they were distributed unfairly, is that the fewest people who were at the top, Caesar and his friends and family, um, got the most of that stuff. And then it went down in a reverse pyramid till you get to the bottom of the pyramid where most people lived, who were the poor and slaves and people who owned small sort of scrapple farms and all those kinds of things. Um, and so, uh, so those people got very little benefit from the empire. Yet, yet everything they got, even if it was just a moldy scrap of bread, um, they were obligated by law. Um, there are actually a set of laws called the obsequium laws in ancient, in ancient Rome. And those laws said that if someone gives you a, get, a gift, you're in their debt. And that if you don't express appropriate gratitude, you can be put in prison, you could be exiled, or you could be executed. And so the appropriate repayment for a gift was taxes, tributes, tithes, loyalty. Um, you were ob- obligated to give your of your benefit or give a, give of your goods to Caesar as a way of repaying the debt. Mm-hmm. Well, well, let's take that into the the history of uh, when Jesus invited Zacchaeus to have dinner with him, because that that like seems to fit right here, because Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Yeah, the, when when I worked on the book and I started studying all this stuff about ancient Rome and where this whole language of gratitude came from, and, and interestingly enough, the word gratitude itself, the root word is gratus um, in Latin, in Latin, which means both gifts and um, and and gratitude, thankfulness. It means both of those things. And so, so I, I was working on all that about this this Roman background and the linguistic background of gratitude. When it was just part of my life, I I preach in a lot of churches, and um, I was at a Presbyterian church in October of 2016. And the passage about Zacchaeus, which is a very well-known passage for Christians, it's about a little man who is a tax collector who gets up in a tree in order to see Jesus when Jesus 
comes to Jericho. Mm -hmm. And so it's a famous Bible story that most little kids who have ever gone to Sunday school have heard. And so, so I'm reading this story of Zacchaeus preparing for the sermon, having done all this side research, you know, for this book with gratitude, and all of a sudden the two things completely collided. And I realized that Zacchaeus, it's not really quite as important that he's short (laughs) as much as it's important that he was a tax collector. Um, In other words, Zacchaeus was the middleman, as it were, in this whole system of gratitude in the ancient Roman world, is that Zacchaeus is a Jew, but he's working for the Romans. And so he's in this position where it's his job to actually collect the debts, the gratus debts, the debts of gratitude, from these people who are held in essentially slavery. They're a colonized people, the Jews. So it's his job to collect those debts and send them back up to Caesar. And um, that is fundamental to this story, is that Zacchaeus is an instrument of this transactional, oppressive, unjust system of, of what I would call corrupted gratitude that the Romans had as the glue, essentially, the economic and social glue of their society. And um, Jesus, you know, walks into Jericho. He sees Zacchaeus up in this tree. And uh, so Zacchaeus, we're told, is short. He can't see over the crowd, so he goes up in the tree. Uh, But Jesus cries out to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, you come down. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, that's more than Z- Jesus just saying, Zacchaeus, get out of the tree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, what Jesus is saying is, hey, Zacchaeus, get out of that system. You know, come down out of, those, out of that hierarchical pyramid system of injustice. Come down and be here with me on the ground. And, um, you know, if that sounds like too far flung an interpretation, the next thing that Jesus says is, by the way, I'm coming to your house today for dinner. And um, that's how you know it's about gratitude and you know it's about this whole system and structure. Because dinner invitations were one of the primary currencies of this quid pro quo system. Mm-hmm that only a higher-status person could give out a dinner invitation to a lower-status person. And so Zacchaeus should have invited him instead of the other way around, right? That's exactly right. And any sort of uh, expected situation in Roman society, Zacchaeus would have issued the invitation. Mm -hmm. And so what Jesus does is Jesus calls him out of the system, calls him out of the tree, and then Jesus literally upends the the structure of gratitude in the ancient Roman Empire, and uh, by by being the one who says, I'm coming to your house. He literally invites himself to dinner. And so, and the fascinating response is Zacchaeus stands there, and instead of saying, hey, you can't do that, you know, I'm supposed to invite you, uh, Zacchaeus just says, oh, of course you are, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so basically, that, and then Zacchaeus says, oh, and by the way, I'm going to uh, repay everyone that I cheated and, and give away half of my money to the poor. Mm-hmm. And so what the, res, what the result is from this amazing little encounter in Scripture is 
it's a political and economic result is that Zacchaeus basically gives up his job because you cannot be a tax collector and repay everyone you've cheated because Caesar's people are going to fire you because they're never going to trust you again. (laughs) 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 And he essentially... It promises to give away half of his wealth, and so he Zacchaeus literally is giving up his job as a result of this encounter mm-hmm. with Jesus, and and he's going to live another way from from that point on. Mm-hmm. That's it, a beautiful story, and, and and you know part of what you express in this is that you were raised evangelical Pentecostal, and at some point you lost a position at a, at a Christian university. Uh, which felt like a bad thing to you, but it turned out well for you. Um, let, let's start with the quote in chapter 1, everything is a gift. <laughs> David Stendhal-Ross says everything is a gift, and feeling grateful is part of what you start with. So let's talk about it from a spiritual perspective now. Let's, let's, let's get into to, to gratitude as a spiritual thing. I'm happy to do that. I love talking about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's I love this that kind of quote, you know, everything is a gift. Mm-hmm. Um because there's sort of two responses to it. One is the people who say, "Oh yes, everything is a gift," you know, and they have a big smile on their face and they get that. Um and then there are people who say things like, "Oh yes, everything is a gift," you know, even even those really horrible and bad things that happen to you. Those are gifts. And um, this is one of the lines I walk through in the in the book, trying to sort through how um, it literally, if you look again from a Christian perspective, it says every good and perfect thing is a gift. And so um, it, that that's a, a quote from from the Bible. And uh, and so you know what we know is that it really isn't a gift. It's not a gift when somebody does something horrible to you, uh, when you're a victim of injustice, when violence occurs to you, uh, uh, you know, when you're, people are abused, people are, are kept down, people are used by others. Those things are not gifts. Those things are abusive choices that someone else makes whereby they're sinning against you. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's not, that's not a gift. That's a, a bad thing that someone has chosen to do, and you're the victim of that. And so, so, so psychologists say, and people who study gratitude say, you should never be thankful for those things. But I think what uh, David Sandel Rast, who is a Catholic monk, is getting to is that even through those things, there is, there is something to be grateful for. There are gifts. And so in the book I tell several stories about really, truly terrible things that happened to me. Um, this is not a book about a, a perfect white lady who has a life of privilege, <laughs> who, who never had anything to struggle with. And it's not a, it is not a book that's a scold. I, I never would wa- want to write a book about gratitude that was a scold. It's really a struggle to clear the decks of these kinds of false ideas of gratitude and find a really, truly deep path. And so so it was um, eye-opening for me uh, on the, the spiritual side of it. You know, the historical stuff was eye-opening. Um, but the, the spiritual side of it was to make a simple difference between how sometimes you hear 
folks, especially in religious communities, say, oh, you should be thankful for, for everything. Um, you should be thankful through everything. Ah, uh, and that, that's I, an important distinction. That little preposition is so important, and um, probably the most oft, often cited verse by Christians about thankfulness is from First Thessalonians chapter five, and it says, "In everything, give thanks." And um, that little word at the beginning, "in," which is in Greek, "en" or "en." Um, that little word means through or with all things give thanks. So we're never supposed to be thankful for somebody firing us from a job or treating us poorly or when we're a victim of sexism or racism or whatever ha- have you. Um, but through those things, with those things, there come some sort of unexpected gifts. And a, and a mature person will find a way toward what is what is the grace in the middle of a situation like that mm-hmm. and, and so in the book I talk about you know just uh, literally when I got fired from my job at the at the college uh, how it opened my life to a new vocation essentially that of being a writer um, rather than being in a co- being college professor all new friends people I never would have met before and um, although I don't say it in the book, uh, had I still been teaching at that college, I never would have met uh, my husband. <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> and that's really important. We've been married for 21 years, and we have a beautiful daughter, and, and we've had this great, you know, couple decades together. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was a terrible situation, and nobody should have ever treated me the way they did. So, so there's no letting them off the hook for making bad choices. Um, but even with their bad choices, the presence of the Spirit was still with me. Um, God still loved me. Grace was still in my life, and it was finding my way toward that in the middle of the bad choice that had an impact on my life. That was a challenge, and eventually um, I could see that there were many gifts that waited for me through that path. You you mentioned the word grace, and so I'm going to link gratitude and grace as you did in the book. You mentioned the the very popular Protestant hymn, Amazing Grace, that was written by Captain John Newton, who was once a slave ship captain and then changed his life and became a an anti-slavery uh, uh, minister. Um, but gratitude and grace come from the same root, don't they? Yes, they do. Uh, it's the same word. Um, in Greek, it's charis. Um, and so uh, it's just, uh, I-, I love the connection between grace and gratitude because grace uh, essentially means free gifts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it's, just, it's just the most, grace is a remarkable concept and one that people say they believe in, but hardly anybody ever does. Um, because, you know, we have this thing in our culture. We say, oh, there's no free lunch. Well, actually, all the world's great spiritual traditions say exactly the other thing. (laughs) (laughs) They all say, no, no, that that all of the best of the gifts are free. And that means that when you wake up in the morning and you're still alive, that's a gift. The Mm -hmm. air we breathe, the water we drink, 
the amazing capacity of the earth to grow food, the love that is in our lives, all that stuff is part of free gifts. And that's what grace is, free gifts. Mm-hmm. And, and um, what gratitude is, is our response to gifts. And so ultimately, gratitude is about our emotional and ethical response to grace. Mm-hmm. And, and um, that's a whole different way, you know, of thinking about grace and gratitude than I think most people have. Um, you know, and in the United States, we're impacted quite a bit by popular religion, mostly that's very sort of evangelical in nature. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, the idea of free gifts is just the uh, it's. It's just that Jesus died for your sins. And so, actually, it's very transactional. So they say, oh, the ultimate gift is this, the death of Jesus, and you get saved. And so you say thank you. You have to give your life in return because Jesus has given this thing to you. That's not free gifts. That's a quid pro quo. It sets God up in a quid pro quo kind of arrangement. It's that God gives you something, and you have to do something in return. Um, And that means you're indebted, essentially, to God. And um, that's not what the Bible teaches as gratitude. Great. The Bible, Great. The Bible teaches free grace uh-huh. and that gifts, that, uh, that grace is a free gift and that gratitude is um, our response to that. That is freely given, not required. You cite a, a verse there about everything coming down from the Father of Lights, that I, I really love that verse. And um, there are other verses from the Old Testament, from the Psalms, about how how generous the Father is. And all of that is beautiful. One of the things that's in this book that I don't know that people think about is that there's a gender divide in gratitude. <laughs> yeah, my husband wasn't too crazy when I read him those, <laughs> those statistics. But there are several studies that show that women... Um, have higher capacities to understand and express gratitude than do men. And um, I think one of the most shocking studies that I read while I was working on the book is not only are women generally more grateful than men, uh, but, and please forgive me, American men are among the least grateful (laughs) population in the world. There's actually a global study of gratitude which shows that American men really struggle with this concept. Isn't that interesting? I I suspect it has to do with the whole notion of quid pro quo. I I think there's something there in capitalism that that drives that. Yeah, I think so too. And, uh, you know, we have this culture that emphasizes individualism and, uh, you know, the idea, I can do that myself, you know, kind of thing. Um, where, so for men, achievement in a capitalist society often seems to cut directly against the idea of free gifts and a free response of thankfulness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, whereas, whereas women have always been a little sort of, you know, lower on that social chain. And so uh, the capacity to recognize grace and gifts and uh, have a response in terms of gratitude is something I think that it's not necessarily built in in terms of gender, but I think it's the way our culture has assigned us certain roles Mm -hmm. in in terms of gender. 
And it also helps explain why people who are uh, uh, populations that have been marginalized or oppressed often have higher senses of gratitude as well. So um, in the book, I talk a lot about you know some of my experiences going into uh, African American churches, mm-hmm. and uh, the the language of gratitude is so thick in black churches, and it's much different um, than the typical language of gratitude in white churches. Yeah. So so um, it might be that the lower one is in a social pyramid, the more one understands the subversive and beautiful aspects of gratitude as a path of spiritual fulfillment. And, um, you know, maybe gratitude is one of the ways we upend uh, oppressive social pyramids. Let's let's uh, take, I've only got two or three minutes left. Let's take a look at, at, at how you present the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, the, the, how radical that was and how people didn't see that. Yeah, the the section that I share about the the Beatitudes was a story that happened to me right after the inauguration. I was at the Women's March, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, here I live outside of Washington D.C. And so I went to the the march, and I was there with a group of clergy women friends. And um, one of my friends brought signs, and the signs were the Beatitudes. And so we were literally in the middle of the Women's March, and we're holding up signs, blessed are the poor, blessed are the peacemakers. And uh, there was this amazing response uh, that we got to everyone who saw our signs. Uh, people were literally cheering the Beatitudes when they came by and saw us holding these, and lots of great and amazing comments. And we actually had sort of a prayer meeting impromptu in the middle of the Women's March. And so this whole thing, this idea of blessing, you know, it, it, which is so tied in with the idea of free gifts and grace, I I, I realize that... Um, it's a very powerful and radical concept for now. And uh, Jesus, of course, uh, when, he, when Jesus first uttered those words, was standing on a hillside and literally yelled out to a crowd, Blessed are the poor. Mm-hmm. A- and I could imagine in my own mind, uh, you know, this raft of poor people who were colonized by Caesar, who were oppressed by this pyramid, hearing those words. And it was, in a sense, Jesus saying, hey, the, God favors you. The gifts are for you. And that was a really radical thing for, for Jesus to bring to that crowd. Yeah. And I think that's why people remembered it, is that the gifts aren't just for the rich. It's the gifts are not just for the people who are at the top. They're not just for the, the hoi polloi, as it were. But they're for everyone. And and that is what opens our hearts to gratitude. That is a beautiful thought. And another translation is not blessed are the peacemakers, but happy are the peacemakers. And so that's another thing about these gifts is that they're truly happy as a result. Unfortunately, we're out of time. I've been interviewing Deanna Butler Bass, the author of Grateful, The Transformative Power of Giving Thanks. It's a good read and I recommend it highly. I'm your host, Dr. John Cook. I remind you, if you don't hear our regularly scheduled broadcast on NPR affiliates, you can also catch us on YouTube at Good Books Radio, Strong and Cook. Thanks for listening, and make it a great day.